Merry Christmas. We're thrilled to have you here. You never know for sure uh, who's going to show up, and we're glad to have all of you that are online as well. And so we have what we dream about, right? A white Christmas. Give it up for a white Christmas. Come on. No complaining today. We are celebrating, and uh, today we're, we're talking about if manger animals could talk, all right? And I will admit to you right off the bat that it's probably one of the least directly biblically supported sermons I've ever preached, because <laughs> there are no quotes, and, and the donkey said, all right? But I think it's implied, and we celebrate it, and so we're going to, first of all, start off with a hymn. And I debated, I thought, I'm going to let the band leave the stage. I think we have the lyrics to Away in a Manger. And, uh, oh, okay, we're going to do it that way. All right, that's fine, as long as we want to. So I need you to help me sing it. The hardest part is finding the starting note, all right? Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. The stars in the sky looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. We're going to do verse 2, all right, because here's where my characters come in, okay? The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, the dawn of salvation. I love thee, Lord Jesus, O gift from above, the King of the heavens forever with us. All right, give yourself a hand. Nice job. We sing about the cattle are lowing, and no one ever objected. I object, all right? So we can assume that born in a manger, it's a, it's a, it's a barn of sorts, a place that travelers would bed their animals down for the night, and there's no reason to think that there wouldn't have been uh, other uh, sorts of farm animals as well. And so let's talk about if these animals could talk. Let's start with the camel, all right? Uh, I have experienced with camels in a couple of ways. Uh, of course, you've seen them like at the zoo. Uh, but I have actually rode a camel once, and I almost killed a camel once. <laughs> I bet you're curious. Uh, on one of our trips to Turkey, uh, we decided to do the tourist thing. And so here is a picture of a camel with a pretty elaborate saddle, I guess, device. And if you ever wonder what it's like to be on top of a camel, that's the view looking down, all right? So I can tell you that it's not very comfortable. Uh, I certainly wouldn't want that camel to take off at a fast pace. Uh, but I have ridden on a camel. And I can tell you I, I would not want to do it for any length of time whatsoever. Uh, as far as having almost killed a camel, that's what you really want to know about. All right? uh, how many of you were here when we did the community Christmas card? It was the big live nativity. All right? So many of you were part of that. Uh, for about a decade... We used to do, way back in the day, a Christmas like cantata, if you, if, you, if you call it. And then we switched from that to a live nativity. We did it for a, a decade at least. And we would, and it was in our old, our old sanctuary. And so outdoors, we mobilized uh, probably three or 400 volunteers, over 100 animals. 
And so the first couple of years it was a drive-by, and then we just had a walk-through. We'd have thousands of people come to it. So you'd park over in that parking lot. Up on that part of the building, on top of it, we had clouds, and we had people dressed like angels. Uh, the second year, it was 18 below zero, and so we couldn't put kids up there. So we went up there, and we, we wore, like, white scarves, just like your eyes were open. That was it. We called ourselves ninja angels, right? So... <laughs> So, but we had angels up on the, on the building, and then there were like shepherds with sheep and townspeople. And then you got to the middle, there was a, we used to have a fountain, we built a manger over that. Uh, and so we'd have cows, literal cows, and then goats. And then over to the right, there would be the wise man's caravan and camels. And so I like to take part in that. Um, I'd be different characters. I've been an angel. Um, when our son was young, we'd be shepherds down the driveway. We'd build a real fire. We'd get a chicken at Kroger. We'd roast a chicken while people were riding by. And it's just, you know, authentic-ish. Uh, and uh, and I, I, you know, I don't know a lot about farm animals other than they end up under cellophane at Kroger. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to camels, okay, again, I was, I was a wise man once, but I was a wise man's attendant, which is kind of like the camel guy. And so, you know, I'm out there for, it's like four hours long, and so I'm out there holding the reins of a camel and off to this side of the building. And we had pine trees there. And, and so I'm trying to get this, my camel was getting restless. And for, for several years, we rented camels from a farm in Kokomo, Indiana, to realize it'd be cheaper if we owned them. So I kid you not, for several years, camel was on our balance sheet. Camel, boom, right? Uh, three of them. And, and so uh, I just, I found out that he wanted to eat the pine branches. So I'd break off a pine branch. Oh, he was, he loved, you know, just chew it all up and chew the cud and all this. And it, it occupied him for a long time. I'd grab another pine branch. And so I, I'm thinking I'm pretty clever. And so I'd say, yeah, it's camel candy. Ha, 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 right? And so I've, I fed that camel a belly full of pine branches that night. And then I learned the next day that at midnight they had to call a veterinarian from our church to relieve the camel that I almost killed because pine branches are toxic to camels. Who knew? <laughs> so if camel's on your Christmas list next year, make sure you don't build the pen near the pine trees, all right? So I almost killed a camel. Uh, there is no literal mention of a camel in uh, the Christmas story, but every nativity has camels, right? It's, these, these are actually from a nativity. My parents bought me when they went to Israel. It's carved. It's out of olive wood. I normally set up in my office at Christmas time. And uh, it's implied because we know that wise men, magi, the Bible says, came from the east uh, bearing gifts to worship Christ. And they came and they unsettled Herod. They said, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his, far in the east, saw his star in the east and came to worship him. And so east could be like what is modern day Iraq or Iran, or it could be farther India or even beyond that. Uh, scholars estimate probably the east, Middle East. And, and so they came in this caravan. They would have been of means. They would have been the, the sort of aristocrat class. So certainly camels were part of their caravan. And if those animals could talk, if a camel could talk, he would probably tell us that we traveled a long way to see someone very special. And I think of that, and I think of having just been in Africa with our partners in Swaziland, Eswatini. And uh, there, most people don't have a vehicle. And so they will walk. In fact, Gogos, uh, grandmothers, they will walk on dirt paths. Uh, over fairly rugged terrain, hilly terrain, uh, 
for three or four miles one way just to come to church. Now, if you're walking a 15-minute mile, that's 45 minutes to an hour at a fairly good clip just to get to church. And then likewise going back. So no wonder when you do preach at those places, they say, no, don't go preaching a 25-minute American sermon. Because these people spend two hours walking, and they want church to be worth it. So you get to go a long time. Uh, but certainly, Jesus was worth the journey. And he's worth the journey now. And we live in a day and age of convenience and quick. And uh, I don't know about you, but I can get exasperated at a stoplight that takes too long. <laughs> Come on, how many of us? Yeah. All right. And they're only, when you time it, though, they're like 45 seconds max. And yet we're getting all aggravated. This is stupid light. And don't, don't let your worship of Christ be subject to convenience. He's worth every inconvenience there is. And, and I see, and as I commiserate with fellow pastors, it feels like the body of Christ and the worship of him collectively kind of gets pushed to the margins for many. I know I'm preaching to the choir right now. Uh, but Jesus Christ is worth every inconvenience, and being part of this is worth every inconvenience. Always has been, always will be. And then this camel might say, uh, we traveled a long way to see the Son of God, and we brought expensive gifts to give to the greatest gift to humanity. So those wise men, when they came, they, they bowed down. And we don't, bowing doesn't mean a lot to us in our culture, uh, it does in Oriental cultures and some uh, Middle Eastern and African cultures. In Eswatini, it's the last monarchy on the continent. And, and so whenever you even sing a worship song that says the word king, they'll bow. And if you go to visit the king, I've heard from those who have been in his presence, uh, you literally get on all fours. Picture a businessman, a diplomat dressed in a suit. They have an eyes with the king. They get on all fours. And they crawl into the king's presence until the king says, you can get up. What a sense of reverence and respect and submission. And so that camel would have come and, and they'll, they'll kind of kneel down and let you get off of them. And, and then those regal men would have come and bowed in Christ's presence and they gave him gold and frankincense and myrrh. And the traditions tell us, obviously, if you want to look for symbolic meaning behind those gifts, first of all, scholars tell us those gifts would have been worth a small fortune. And so that would have really bankrolled Jesus and his family when they went from birth in Bethlehem and they became uh, refugees to Egypt. And they likely stayed there until sometime in his toddler years until it was safe after Herod died to go back. So live there a year, two years, three years, whatever it might have been. Uh, they probably lived off the proceeds of the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gold is easily symbolic of the royalty of Jesus Christ as the King of Kings. The frankincense uh, was frank incense. It was used as an act of worship. They would burn the incense, and it would be a fragrance to God. And, and incense is used in Catholic worship to this day and other forms of worship. And we sing about let incense arise all right, so it's an act of worship, and as a burnt offering, it's, it's symbolic of a sacrifice. And Christ, Christ is the one baby who, whose birth points us to his death. And then myrrh was a spice of great value then, would have been practically useful, but it also symbolically speaks to us. It's an embalming spice. And so, again, it points us to the death of Christ, this baby who came to die. And giving has always been 
part of our worship of God and giving to Christ his due. The Bible, when we, when we preach on stewardship, talks about a tithe, giving God a, the first tenth of what we earn. It's, it's taught in the Old Testament. It's affirmed in the New Testament. And, and really, when you give at that level to God, it tells us that he is Lord over us and Lord over ours. And I've read theologians say, if God doesn't really rule over yours, he doesn't rule over you. And uh, that's why we practice giving. We encourage people to tithe and give beyond that. And that's why at the Christmas season, we, we ask a special gift also, and we call it What If. And I'm so excited about our What If offering this year. Uh, and you can go ahead and scan that QR code if you like. But uh, Good Shepherd Recovery Center, it really troubled me when Dayton made national news. And they made a top 10 list. And the top 10 list was opioid overdoses. And that's just been in the last few years. And the opioid epidemic, as it's been called in our nation, uh, ground zero, at least in our state, is in Montgomery County, inner city Dayton, especially on the east side of Dayton. And it's bothered me as a church, what can we do to help fight that? And uh, God has answered our prayers and our questions uh, across Dayton, but one in particular is Good Shepherd Ministries. You saw the video of testimonials from guys that are part of that ministry. Uh, Sean Trapp directs that. You'll hear from him in January. Uh, but what I love about Good Shepherd Ministries is not only do they focus on helping a person break the addictions to drugs and alcohol, uh, but they also realize that's just part of it. They need to know Christ, so they'll lead them to Christ, the discipleship ministry. But that's only part of it because if a person can't then live a productive life and provide for themselves, it's easy to fall back into those ways. And so Good Shepherd Ministries is an entrepreneurial ministry where they, uh, they do lawn care. They, we're helping buy them a snowplow and things like that so that they can help those men become self-sufficient. And so we're saying, what if we gave like it was Jesus' birthday? And, and today we celebrate his birthday. We don't know the exact day of it. Uh, but we ask every CLC household to give $100, $150 each. Some will give more, some less. But we want to raise a quarter of a million dollars to really help Good Shepherd make huge strides forward. We have, we have bought houses that they've rehabbed, and people live in that as part of the recovery. There's several recovery houses across East Dayton. It's in the Xenia Avenue area right by New Hope Church that we also partner with. And so I'll ask you if you haven't given to that yet. You have till December 31st. You can do it online. Uh, you can do it in the black boxes or on our app. But uh, let's give like it was Jesus' birthday, beyond our tithes and offerings, uh, to people who are in need and people that we can really help make a difference for. And it's consistent uh, giving being part of Christmas then, part of Christmas now. Second animal, let's talk about donkey. I have less experience with donkeys than I do with camels. And, uh, and I understand they're kind of stubborn, but they are very sturdy and stable, and if you can get them to work, they're pretty reliable. The only experience I have with cam or donkeys up close and personal, besides probably petting a donkey at the community Christmas card, uh, is in Africa. And in fact, I have a picture in, uh, in my office, uh, poster size. Uh, it was the first time we went to Lava Mesa in, uh, in uh, Eswatini, and it's, it's, it's one of the hottest parts of the country. Uh, when we were there in the summer, it hit 118 degrees, which is hot. And uh, we had come to Lava Mesa. At that time, there was a simple church building before we took it in as an ICBC, in community by community church, and a little tiny unfinished, almost like a storeroom, probably eh, 10 by 12 of that. 
And, and it had a doorway, a metal doorway, but no door in it. It had windows, but no glass in them. And in this little room were like five donkeys. They weren't on leashes. They, weren't, they were just in there together. I don't know if donkeys are social animals. And, and when you drive across the countryside in Africa, donkeys, you'll see them on the side of the road. They're, they're kind of like community donkeys because the river supply in Lava Mesa, the, the groundwater is too metallic uh, to drink. So you have to go down to the river uh, to get water. And so what they will do is they'll have these big, like, five-gallon plastic containers, uh, and they'll tie a rope to two of them, and they'll throw that over the donkey, and they'll walk the donkey down to the river and fill them up and put probably four of those, that's pretty heavy, and walk that donkey back home. They've got their water supply. So that's my experience with donkeys. Uh, but this donkey uh, likely gave Mary a ride. Mary and Joseph were of simple means. We know that by the sacrifice that they were going to offer when they took Jesus to the temple, it was the sacrifice that poor people would offer. So they wouldn't have been able to afford a, a Lexus camel. Uh, they got an old, beat-up Chevy donkey. Put it in terms we can relate to. And, you know, being a donkey isn't real important. Uh, it's not real famous. And so somebody rides on your back, that's not a very big deal. And I think the donkey would tell us, you know, I've given lots of people rides. And it's an unimportant role. But I learned that unimportant things for God aren't unimportant. There is a donkey somewhere in animal history that had the privilege of giving the mother of Jesus a ride to that baby's birthplace. That's pretty cool. And I don't know if there's a, a donkey heaven, <laughs> but if there is, I'm sure they're going to cluster around and say, so tell us again, what was it like? And I thought to myself, you know, unimportant things for God aren't that is so true. Uh, I thought of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And he's talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about us. And he says earlier in the chapter that each one of us has spiritual gifts for the good of each other. I remember when I realized studying spiritual gifts and then putting two plus two together. Oh, I think I have the gift of teaching. And the gift of teaching, while I typically uh, will rehearse my message out loud in my office to the wall, uh, just because I learned a long time ago, things, if you're thinking through a speech or a talk, things can sound really good up here, and when it goes here, it just doesn't go right. So I found I need to rehearse it. But I have to tell you, it's way more enjoyable when there's somebody here to tell it to. And hopefully it's helpful to you. There are, my prayer is that you have some kind of aha or insight that you can have a takeaway with. And so that gift of teaching isn't for my good, it's for us. And there are people with the gift of administration, speaking of Africa, Christina Clark is a great example of the gift of administration. Uh, she's an organizer's organizer and every year looks forward to organizing 1,500 volunteers and tons of food to come together on one weekend and schedule all that. And the end of it is 600,000 meals sent out to our friends in need. And there, there are gifts of mercy. There are gifts of there are miraculous gifts, gift of miracles, healing, tongues, interpretation. There's the gift of leadership. 
And each one of us has gifts for the good of each other. And Paul says, and if one member of the body suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are, say we are. In fact, say I am. You are, I am Christ's body and individually members of it. I drove in this morning. Uh, I got to come in an hour later than normal. But it was, I don't know, about 8.30. And I'm driving up the lane. And what song is in my head? If you're, if you're getting spiritual on me, it wasn't. I was, what was in my head? Was it a Bing Crosby? I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. We, got a, we dream of it. We got a white Christmas, right? And, uh, and so I'm just driving around, just loving it. I'm looking at, the, at my, my thermometer in the car. It's three degrees. I love it when snow crunches. I can't help it, all right? And I'm driving around. I thought, I'm just going to drive. I'm driving through the parking lot. I'm looking at it. I think, wow, you know, great job. It was all cleared out for yesterday, Christmas Eve, and people came. And then I drove down, and I, and I, I drove all the way down to this end, and I pulled up next to him as Fred Shank was pulling cones off the cart, and I just stopped. I just put my window down and I said, I just want to see what a hero looks like. Three degrees out. And, and if you see Fred and the team. And I, and I told him, I said, Fred, I want to be the judgment seat of Christ and give you a standing ovation. Uh, you and the team, you guys are here every week, rain or shine. When, we just, when we're trying to decide are we going to go to church or watch online, you're here setting up cones three degrees. And last night, somebody had a flat tire. What did our parking lot team do? They changed the tire for the person. If Jesus worked the parking lot, that's what Jesus would do. And so nothing for God is unimportant. You have no idea the little things you might do in his name for his sake or just because you're his, the little things you might do for someone that will scream to them, good news, Christ is born. Great lesson that that donkey teaches us. And then we just sang, the cattle are lowing. All right, so let's assume that in a manger, there's a cow. Yeah. And I guess in, in, uh, in Luke chapter 2, if I can go there. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in cloths, and laid him in a manger, verse 7, and there was no room for them in the inn. So they're in this manger, they're in this barn. It's likely that there were cattle there. You go to verse 12, it says, this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And then you go to verse 16, and they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. The manger, again, don't be fooled, I'm not an agricultural guy. Uh, but a manger is a feed trough. And you ever watch farm animals eat? Man, they just... But it's not like they're neat and tidy. And that became the place of Jesus' crib, laid him there. And so there were cattle lowing in the manger. And I tried to think of the right analogy of cattles and manger or mangers and cattle and I'm <laughs> I might get in trouble with this it sounded fun and I don't mean any offense by it but mangers the cattle are to mangers 
like soccer moms and dads are to fast food drive through <laughs> They're just there, all right? I mean, when you, you can't tell me you're sitting down to a full-course meal every time you got a soccer game or soccer practice. No, the meal is usually from here to here, all right? But it just goes together. So when you have a manger, there's cattle. They're eating. They're there. And so we can safely assume, yep, that carved animal belongs in the manger. And, and how, how unusual, how unexpected, if I were writing the script of the birth of the Son of God to be the Savior of the world, it would not include any parts, walk-on parts for this, or a donkey, or a cow. That wouldn't be my script. That wouldn't be my cast of characters. But I would suggest to you, and, and certainly finding baby Jesus in a manger, in a barn. Would any of you write that script? The Son of God becomes King of Kings, Savior, in a barn? No. And the suggestion from that cattle would be, look for Jesus in unexpected places. And look for opportunities to be like Jesus in unexpected places. Think of everywhere you're going to go this week. Think of the places you don't think of going next, this, next week. You're going to go there. It'd be a surprise. Think of everywhere you go in your life, in your day-to-day. And I feel convicted because I realize I, I could have been a reflection of Jesus in every one of those places. I'd love to give you the impression that I was. And I'm holy in God. No. Man, there's times I blew it. In fact, there's times I acted like not Jesus. But everywhere you go, first of all, look for the presence of Christ. Look for his handiwork. The Bible says that we see the image of God in what he's made. And I can't help it. I, you know, I grew up as a kid in the snow, and when I was out, freezing my fingers off trying to keep my ski slope of a driveway clear. I love it. A snowflake landed on my, I had a black glove on. And it was one of those super cool crystals. And I took a picture of it and I was going to post it on Facebook and I thought, they're going to think I'm so annoying. Just keep it to yourself. But I was like, good job, God. And when I look at the snow I don't know about you, but it's a helpful reminder that though my sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. He cleanses me of all unrighteousness. And, and every moment of my day, I will not encounter anyone that doesn't need some experience of Jesus. The most godly person I know, the, the longest standing Christian I know, or someone who doesn't know Christ, all of us, everyone, needs a reflection of Jesus. Look for him in unexpected places and be him in unexpected places for someone else. And then the sheep. Again, it's implied but there's a manger, there's shepherds. So we're going to put two plus two together, get four or five or six, I don't know. But in Luke chapter 2, verse 15, when the angels had gone away from the shepherds into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. 
And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. We don't know the details. If they tried to decide which shepherd they leave behind, what the flock, did they rock, paper, scissors? Okay, you stay. Or did the sheep just kind of follow along? Don't know. It is not unlikely that sheep would have been uh, in that manger as well as part of that uh, animal crowd. And uh, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, oops, Matthew 2, you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. Out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Jesus will shepherd people, shepherds us. It turns a noun into a verb. What a shepherd does is he cares for the sheep. He, he takes care of the well-being and health of the sheep. He makes sure the sheep are provided for. He protects the sheep. And the Bible says Jesus will be that and do that for those of us who are his sheep. In John chapter 10, verse 10, I'll start verse 11. It says, I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. You go to verse 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And the sheep would tell us, we came to the birth of not just the good shepherd, but the greatest shepherd of all. The shepherd of our lives, the shepherd of our love, the shepherd of our souls. Past, present, and future. And uh, I'd like to read for you, I'd like to try something. I'd like to read for you the 23rd Psalm. I don't know, Zach, are you back there? Hey, give it up for Zach. Would you just... This is spontaneous. Any little shepherding underscore, please. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> In the Alps, maybe. <laughs> and we have a, a photograph of, of the manger that we could put up. And I'm going to read for you. Yeah, just leave that up. And I'm going to read for you the 23rd Psalm. And I want you to imagine the one who came to shepherd you. The one who came to do all these things with you, for you, about you, in your life at Christmas. That the sheep at the manger so clearly point us to. The Lord, Jesus, is my shepherd. I shall not want. In my hectic, hurried, exhausting life, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Makes me lie down. He leads me beside quiet waters, calls me away to himself. He restores my soul. <sighs> my soul. He renews my mind, heals my feelings, guides my choices and my will. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. 
brought me here today. He'll lead me through Christmas and the weeks and days and months beyond. And as he leads me and guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake, some of those paths I prefer not to be on. I'm glad I'm not on them alone because even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you're with me. Yes, that good shepherd leads me on paths through overwhelming, fear-filled valleys. But I can do that without fear. Even the shadow of death. I saw Max Green this morning as I was in the stadium seats worshiping and I couldn't help but kneel down next to his wheelchair and give him a hug as he's battling cancer and his wife was in a horrible accident the first of November and she should be getting out of the hospital this next week. I hugged him. We told you how much we loved each other and I said, Max, someday we're going to be celebrating heaven, Christmas together in heaven. He's been through the valley of the shadow of death as has Bobby and you can do that without fear. Some of you are there this season. Jesus would say, fear not, I'm with you. I fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A rod was, was a club sort of a tool that shepherds carried to, to beat off any prey, and a staff they would use to direct and guide. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Jesus is with you in those difficult relationships and circumstances. And you can trust him. You anointed my head with oil. That's more of a medical process for a shepherd and sheep to, to, to heal wounds and to keep away flies and pests. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord with the shepherd of my soul forever. And so finally, not an animal in the manger scene, but baby Jesus. It's all about him. And all the gifts that we gave or will give and all the celebrations and decorations are meant to point us to the one who told us in John chapter 10, I'm the good shepherd. And he says in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And as I was getting dressed this morning, I couldn't help but tell the Lord how grateful I was for him and the difference he makes in my life. The tangibles, yeah, great, all the blessings, fine, but the, the greatest thing that Jesus does for me is it's the difference he makes because I have Christ in me, the hope of glory. There's this comfort I can't explain. There's this joy that doesn't make sense. There's this strength when I am spent. And there's this hope that tempers everything. Seen through that lens of hope that this good shepherd will see me all the way home, I can deal with anything in life. And so can you. And you have. And you will. And you'll continue to. So let's pray. Take a moment and just thank him. Thank him for these things that uh, we can put in the mouths of animals, but these truths 
that he is worthy of certainly our lives and every gift we can give. Thank him for the gift he gives to us of eternal life and hope. Thank him for using you in what may seem like unimportant, but they are hugely important ways. And Lord, give us the, give us the discernment to, to see Jesus, to see your handiwork all around us in life, and also give us the discernment and awareness that there are people in our day, every day, that need someone to be Jesus to them. Lord, if you can use us, our words, our actions, our responses, our attitudes, we ask for that. And we are so thankful that you shepherd us through life. And we are so grateful that it's all about Jesus. So thankful that you came to give us life and life more abundantly. And God, we thank you for every blessing that abounds around us, for, for the freedoms that we have, and, and for the, just the possibilities that we have. We thank you we can gather here today and to celebrate you. And we thank you for whatever 2023 holds, that you'll be with us. Your rod and your staff will protect us and guide us and lead us. And our cup will overflow with the goodness of God until someday we are with you in your house forever. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, amen. Let's give the Lord an ovation of praise. He deserves it. <laughs>